Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Bay Area, it's time for Bay Area Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here. Today's episode of Bay Area Business Radio is brought to you in part by Leah Davis Coaching. And today on Bay Area Business Radio, we have Sandra Davis with Sage Financial Solutions. Welcome, Sandra. Hello there, Lee. Welcome. Thank you for bringing me on here. Well, I'm excited to learn about what you're up to. Tell us about Sage Financial Solutions. How are you serving folks? Yeah, so we are a nonprofit that is located in the Bay Area, but we actually work globally. We train people who are either already in the personal finance area, either financial educators, counselors, coaches, um, and we help them to connect with people by focusing more on uh, the behavioral aspects of personal finance than on the dollars in the sense. Not ignoring the dollars in the sense, just understanding that you can create a great plan for folks, but if you haven't really tapped in to what's most important to them, it's a little bit more difficult for them to actually take action on the plan. So now, how did you come up with that as kind of the focus? That sounds kind of counterintuitive that most people financially oriented like to talk about the money part, not the kind of the the behavior behind the money part. Yeah, well, Lee, let me tell you. So the first thing is that I made every money mistake possible before I became a financial planner. I have a master's degree in financial planning. And I just knew, I mean, you couldn't tell me that all of this new knowledge and new information that I had was not going to change the world, right? I was going to go all over the country and I was going to teach people about money and miraculously they were all going to behave better and no one was going to be poor again. And that's what I thought I was doing when I started this. And what I learned very quickly was that me knowing did not equate to them doing. And me teaching did not equate to them feeling confident in their competence. So I was working with a bunch of uh, very, very top-notch, high net worth planners or planners for high net worth folks. And I was talking with one of uh, my esteemed colleagues and she said, I can't get my clients to live within her $50,000 a month budget. And I was like, okay. And I knew then that it wasn't about the dollars in the sense that it didn't really matter how much people had. If they weren't really clear about why they wanted to make something change, something to be different than it was, that I had to tap into something else. And so I started learning about coaching first by being coached myself and then by uh, building programs for other nonprofits around the country. And then finally, in about 2007, I created my own program. And then in 2013, we went national. Now, let's talk about kind of this mindset shift, because there, there is a saying that says that if you, no matter how much money you make, your kind of lifestyle is going to creep up into whatever that amount of money is. And it sounds like you were kind of seeing that play out in uh, the information you were getting from other people that maybe were dealing with higher net worth people. Like this wasn't um, kind of a a myth that says, oh, well, I make $5,000 a month. So if I was making $10,000 a month, I'd save $5,000 a month because I'm fine. But what would happen is that you would just have a $10,000 a month lifestyle and then you'd still not be saving as much as maybe you could be. Yeah. And that's what we call lifestyle creep, right? So 
often uh, when, when people are thinking about what they want their life to look like. So there's a difference between our living expenses and our lifestyle expenses. And so once people have the lifestyle that they want and, and they're maintaining that lifestyle with their income or their investments or however they're doing that, the question then becomes, what difference does more money make? What are you able to do with more that you can't do now? And often people don't think about that before they're making the kinds of decisions to increase their income. So for instance, if I'm satisfied with my living and I, you know, I'm enjoying the life that I have, if I make more money, what difference does that make to me? And if it's important for me to have more cash for financial security, maybe I'm going to save. If it makes, if, if it's more important to me to make sure that I can be taken care of in my old age, I might be focused on investing. If it's more important to me to have more luxury or to take care of family members or whatever it is that I care most about, I'm going to use that quote unquote extra money right? To do the thing that matters most. Now, you know, some, sometimes people think it's unconscious, but, you know, actually most of us have money spent before we've ever earned it, right? And so we see this a lot around tax returns. When someone knows they're going to get a huge tax return, they start shopping in December, right? They might not spend the money yet, but they're starting to think about, you know, November and December, they're starting to think about when I get my tax return, I'm going to blah, whatever that is. And so we know that people often spend money in their mind before they ever have the money. And we know that's true with lottery winners, right? Or, or people who play the lottery. Like, if I win the lottery, I'm going to. And so so people kind of already have in their head what they want their life to look like. And then if their money starts to align with that, then it kind of gives them permission, if you will, to start to do some of those things. So, you know, but the opposite can happen as well. If there's someone who is really, really frugal and they're frugal for a reason, having more money may not necessarily mean lifestyle creep for them. They may find, you know, you may find that folks who are in that situation start to actually hoard money and hold on more tightly because now they don't want to lose it. And so the idea of a money script or a money beliefs um, there's no, you know, there's no one way. There's no right way. People have what they have and how they believe about money. The question becomes, is what you're doing getting you what you want? Is it serving you? And if it's not, then you, you know, you got to make a decision about what do you want to do about it. And does it become kind of prioritizing what really is your why or what is the thing that you, the outcome you desire? I think that that's helpful, right? Because then that can also help you know if it is necessary to make a change, what changes are you willing to make? So let me give you a really concrete example. So if I'm working with a family and one of the members of that family is already working a full-time 40-hour, sometimes 45 hours a week job, and they want to fill uh, uh, increase their income. They want to be in a better financial position that they're in now. And they're already working in excess of the 40 hours. They're barely seeing their children and, and they still want to make more money. So if I'm coaching them and I start out with, okay, we'll have you cut expenses and, you know, look, we've cut everything possible. There's nothing left to cut. And then my other alternative might be, so how can you make more? It can be very easy for a financial professional to say, get a second job. So you go ahead and tell me, Lee, what happens if that person who's already working 45 hours, what happens if they go and get a second job? 
um, well, they're not going to be happy and they're going to probably stop seeing that coach and uh, they're going to not get what they really want. Exactly. And so as the financial professional, it's my job to make sure that I have the necessary skills to make to to uh, make um, the best situation for the client. And that might mean we're exploring all of the things that are available to them. So uh, just coming up with an idea like go get another job or get a second job or get a side hustle or whatever the things that, w- that we say to people these days, we have to first understand what are they really trying to accomplish. So if that person wants more time with family, I'm actually telling them the exact opposite of what they're really wanting to accomplish. So, you know, they might have to downsize. They might have to move to another state. The other partner might have to get a different job. There, You know, there's all kinds of things that we might have to look at. But for me to just start out with, hey, you know, go get a second gig and hope for the best, um, I actually am, am, am very likely doing a disservice to that person. Does that make sense? Right, because you're focusing on the end rather than the kind of the how at this point. First, you have to know how they want the story to end in order to coach them properly. Exactly. And so by spending the time to know that and to um, really listen to what's going on with them, I'm going to be more able to help them get what they're truly looking for. It's just very seldom about the money. You know, the research shows that up until about 75000 um, and that the, the idea of that being you're not in abject poverty or you're not in poverty, up until 75000 the ratio of happiness to income doesn't really change very much. And so get, making more money above that threshold doesn't necessarily equate to more happiness. So uh, what I train people to do is help clients focus on that happiness and how do they create the life that they want, how do they manage their resources in a way that help them get what they want. Now, in your career, how did you make the decision to, instead of helping um, maybe individuals as much, you're helping these community-based organizations help more individuals? Was it that you wanted to serve more people and you felt this was a lever to help more folks, really? You nailed it. And so there's only one of me, and there's only so much that I can do. And um, I ain't no spring chicken, Lee. I'm, I'm an older woman. Um, and I wanted to make sure that there was something that lived beyond me that could begin to grow the number of financial professionals who specifically wanted to serve people who were low, moderate, and middle income. And so that's really what my drive was. Um, It was very easy for people who are wealthy to find a a financial planner for high net worth individuals. It was not as easy for people who were, um, you know, just, you know, everyday working folks to try to find someone that, that would help them without shaming, blaming, talking to them badly, those kinds of things. So now is is your work um, finding those partners now? You're going around and trying to identify who were, who would be good partners who wants to serve that marketplace? Or do you have to kind of drum up a marketplace because there's not a lot, like you said, the, the financial in, incentives maybe aren't there for that typical wealth advisor. Uh, you know, they want the person with the high net worth or um, could become the high net worth. And there's less kind of financial incentive for them to help the people that are just starting out or don't come from money. 
The lovely part about my life now, Lee, is that they find me. So we have a training program that trains twice a year. We train to the general public twice a year. And, you know, we're full each time. And so what we do is uh, we let people know when our trainings are going to happen. Now, I do still do some work with community-based organizations where I'm building a program specifically for a target population or within a specific community. But more often than not, we run the training. People come to the training, and then we support them in uh, not only getting the skills, but then in finding the clients that uh, are looking for them also. Sometimes it's a bit of a matchmaker kind of gig, you know. Now, are you finding that, um, is the coachability the same for a low income person and as a, um, kind of middle or high income person? Absolutely. Uh, the, the dollar amount is not nearly as relevant as the client's readiness. Do they want to do something differently than what they're doing now? And so the attention that, uh, we give is to make sure that we're able to meet what their needs are. So a, a lot of what happens when uh, financial professionals are working with clients and the client isn't implementing the plan or the client isn't doing the thing that they've actually hired you <laughs> to do, um, you create a, they hire you to create a plan for them and they may or may not do it. What generally happens now is often financial planners might call them a non-compliant client and often will say, you know, I'm going to fire that client. I'm not going to work with that client anymore. The rub is that that client is most likely the one in the most need of personal finance services. And so what we do with coaching is help the client, the, the planner, the professional look at what can I do differently so that the client feels compelled to make the change that they want to make. And that's really where we're, we're starting to see more alignment of uh, what I know is actually what I do rather than that gap between knowing better and yet not doing better. So do you think that um, with this kind of training that more and more kind of consumers can be reached? Like it's not that uh, it's not a problem necessarily of their willpower or motivation that, that, but it more in the terms of the teacher doesn't know kind of the right tactics to reach that individual. Well, you know, it can be both. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I have some areas of my life where my willpower and my motivation fails me drastically. Like, you know, I want to work out every morning at 630, but my bed is really, really warm. So, um, you know, there are times that it's motivation and then there are times that it is technique. And so having more professionals who are equipped to manage um, manage their different techniques based on what inspires that client and what approach do you want to take with that client so that they can uh, deploy all of their resources in the direction of their goals. And I mean their energy, their time, their money, their knowledge, all of those things. So sometimes as the coach, we have to really be there to reflect back what we hear, um, challenge them to you know higher heights, and then offer the accountability so that they have someone who can check in with them to see how things are going. Now, is this kind of behavioral um, training that I guess you're, you're working through their behaviors, is it transferable to other things? Like, is this same kind of strategies that you're using to help someone with their finances, would it work the same for weight loss or any other goal that a person might have? 
Yeah. So, so the wonderful thing about coaching is there's all kinds of coaches. Number one, there are executive coaches, career coaches, life coaches, all of that. And that's because the techniques of coaching applies across the board. And this comes out of uh, solutions-focused therapy, which uh, therapists have been using for years. It's not as new to them as it is to the general public. Therapists have been doing it forever. Um, And the point of it is focusing more on the possibility than the problem. And so you can apply that to everything. So I could say, um, you know, Lee, I don't want to sleep in anymore. I don't want to skip my workouts. Or I could say, Lee, I really want to make sure that I get in 30 minutes a week of high intensity walking because I really want to see my grandchildren's grandchildren. And so now I'm not focusing on what I don't want. I'm focusing on what I do want. And that's what coaches help you do. Stay focused on where do you want to end up? And then what do you have to do? And more importantly, who do you have to be to get there? So I have to be a person who remembers what's most important to me. I have to be the person who, who prioritizes my health so that my grandchildren's grandchildren will get to know me, right? And so that's really how we look at it. How, who do I have to be to have the life that I want? And that's what coaching is all about. So now if there's a financial advisor out there uh, or a community-based organization out there that wants to serve this population, what's some low-hanging fruit that they could be doing to help either themselves or, or the folks they're serving? Yeah, yeah. So I'd say the first thing is listen before you speak. And when you're trying to learn about someone, truly learn about them and then gather the data or the information later understanding what's really important to them, what they want, what's important to them about it is really the first step in a good relationship between you and someone that wants to work with you or who you want to work with. So whether you're in a nonprofit agency serving people who are low income or you're a financial planner or advisor who is serving people who are high income, people want to feel heard. So listen before you speak. So now what do you need more of? How can we be helping you? Oh, wonderful. So what I need more of is support in people knowing that training is an ongoing thing. So even if you've already been trained and you already know what you're doing um, and you're interested in the kind of work that I do, join one of our training programs or come to one of our listening sessions or office hours. Um, and check us out. I mean, it's easy. We're easy to find. Um, our website is sagefinancialsolutions.org. People forget we're a nonprofit, so that .org is important. And um, let people you, you know know about us. And then also, if there are people who are seeking a coach, we can help you connect. I don't personally take on coaching clients anymore, but I can help you connect with great folks um, who are doing wonderful, wonderful work in the world. And these are folks that could be at any um, socioeconomic level. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have coaches who do pro bono work, folks who do a sliding scale, uh, and then, of course, folks who, who are, are, you know, 
full service who uh, require a higher uh, a higher price point. But everyone that we partner with, everyone who um, number one is in our certification program, and then number two is part of our Coach Connect program. Um, they're they're all very eager and very capable. Uh, competent and ethical folks who are not selling products. They're not trying to get people to um, uh, turn over assets or anything like that. The focus really is on how do we help people live the life that they desire. And you're teaching folks all over the it, all over the country, and is it global as well? It is now. I'm very excited. We're just finishing our first co- cohort in India, and we'll be starting a cohort in Ghana in January of next year. So I'm really excited about that. 2020 has been a very long decade. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to turning the corner and uh, looking forward to what's next. Well, congratulations on all your success and thank you for the work you do. It's very important and you're helping so many people and the impact you're making is large and we appreciate you thank you so much lee i'm glad to be here all right this is lee Cantor. we'll see you all next time in bay area business radio 